welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Rin. And I'm Zach. And this week we are doing a new series called Book Club. And for our first book club book, we're going to be discussing The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. So The War of Art is a book about resistance and overcoming it and turning pro, as Stephen Pressfield puts it. Yeah. When we're talking about resistance, we're talking about what some people will call writer's block. Um, but Pressfield takes this idea of writer's block and generalizes it in order to apply in lots of different aspects inside of our lives. And so the way that he defines resistance is he defines it as the force that is opposing your movement towards self-actualization. So if you are, you know, if you're writing a book and you, you know, Deep down, you want to write the book, but you don't really want to sit down and work on it. You're experiencing resistance. If you're thinking, oh, I'm going to start an exercise regimen or a diet, but then you sit down and you're like, well, but I would really like to, you know, go out to eat. I really want I really want my McDonald's tonight. It's all the rationalization yes. that you put yourself through to stop yourself from doing the work. Yes. Yeah. Um, and generally, he says that this resistance comes from fear. Um, he says the more scared we are of work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. There's kind of a there's kind of a cognitive reappraisal that goes on right there. And cognitive reappraisal is an idea from psychology where you take something that you're thinking about and you change the way that you're thinking about it to change how you feel about it. So a classic example has to do with public speaking. You know, you you're about to go up to to speak and your body starts experiencing the fight or flight response and you start to panic because you're thinking, oh, you know, my palms are sweaty and my legs are all jittery and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to fail. Cognitive reappraisal is going, going to that sensation and saying, wait a minute, you know, instead of my body preparing to flee, my body is preparing it to fight. I'm going to go, I'm going to fight, I'm going to win, in the words of Edna from Incredibles. <laughs> And so what Pressfield is talking about is to recognize that when you're feeling resistance, that's a signal that you ought to lean into it rather than to run from it. Yes, exactly. More on the cognitive reappraisal. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another technique that, like, they'll teach you in, like, therapy. If you're, like, super nervous about something, if you're super anxious about it, they tell you to think of it as excitement rather than anxiety because it runs along the same neurons in your brain. Mm. So maybe if you're feeling really nervous or anxious about work, really you're just excited about it, but you haven't learned to recognize the emotion for what it is, really is. Mm. And then when you're feeling a lot of resistance, it's really easy to want to just procrastinate because it's so much easier. You are putting off any fear of failure. You're putting off any fear of rejection. And, you know, Stephen Prestwell says we don't tell ourselves, I'm never going to write my symphony. Instead, we say, I'm going to write my symphony. I'm just going to start tomorrow. Mm. But the thing with tomorrow is it's a super abstract concept. Like, you never actually get to tomorrow because mm -hmm. there's actually only the here and now. Yeah, it reminds me of this quote from Mary Poppins Returns, which says, today or never, um, which is kind of a way to to beat this idea of giving in to resistance through procrastination is to say, you know what? I'm going to do something today, even if it is something really tiny. Mm-hmm. That working on something really tiny, it makes me think also of the opposite of doing something really tiny, which is doing too much, and that leads to burnout. Yes. Um, and one practice I've been trying to institute in my life recently is only 
doing as much as I can recover from the next day. Mm. And I think I got it off, like, Matt Diavella's channel, maybe, on YouTube. He's a productivity YouTuber who works out a lot, and he incorporates workout metaphors into his productivity stuff. And he was like, yeah, you can't do, like, so much working out one day. Like, you can't do so much on leg day that you can't walk the next day. Yeah, because then it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to walk to the gym to exactly to, to do, do the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. So you have to balance procrastination and with by just doing a little bit, but then not overwhelming yourself. Right. There's a there's a kind of Goldilocks zone there, and really being aware of what your Goldilocks zone is really key to to turning pro. Um, yes. What or what Pressfield uh, calls turning pro which is kind of this uh, idea that rather than being somebody who occasionally uh, picks up art to being someone who is devoted to the production of art. Um, So he talks about the distinction in between somebody who is a weekend warrior, you know, who will go out and blast, uh, you know, 10, 12, or 13 miles um, running, but then during the week doesn't do any running at all. Just FYI, that is an excellent way to get injured. (laughs) You're like... That's not how your body is supposed to work. And it's the same thing with your, you know, with your creative spirit. If you try and bust out, um, you know, 50,000 words in, you know, three days and you're used to chugging along at 200 words a day, you're going to burn out and you're going to burn out hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think burnout is like such a dangerous idea right now because everyone's like, we almost glorify burnout as a culture, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't want to do that. We want to create consistently mm-hmm. because consistency is the key to everything, I would say. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, and then even if you're creating, cons- creating consistently, you're still going to fail sometimes. Like you're yes. not going to do things perfectly. You're As a writer, you're going to have scenes that just do not work. You're going to have to scrap them. You're going to have to start over. Mm-hmm. Writing is rewriting, you yep. know? Yep, yep, um, So an idea to bring in from a TED Talk I watched in high school, and I totally should have gone and, like, found this TED Talk. But I thought the phrase fail faster was too vague to find the specific TED Talk. Well, I can throw out that a uh, YouTube channel called Extra Credits did an entire video on this um, idea of failing faster in terms of game design. So it's okay. not limited to, to TED. TED Talks, yeah. Tell me more about failing faster in game design. Yeah, so when you're in game design, you're talking about, oftentimes you're talking about something having to do with a computer. And if you have never touched a computer before, how are you listening to this? But <laughs> if you've never programmed a computer before, you're probably not aware that Programming is a succession of trying and failing, where you try to write a program that does this one thing, and then you fail. So you go back and you check and see, okay, how did it fail? And then you try again. And you can apply this inside of your inside of your writing, for example, by trying to shorten the amount of time in between when you write something and when you show it to somebody else. Um, I used to be really resistant to showing first drafts to anybody because I was thinking, oh, there's so much stuff in here that I'm, you know, that I'm going to change anyway, so why would I show it to anybody? But now I kind of look forward to getting that feedback on a first draft because it helps me to inform my thinking. It makes me more excited. It makes me feel more like a writer because people are, are reading my stuff, even if it is crap. Yeah. Um, 
and it helps me to get better faster rather than agonizing over making it perfect the first time. Yes, I was exactly the same. Like I was so resistant to showing people first drafts. And then I joined a writing group, yeah. which we talked about writing groups in episode 11, right before you joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still sometimes hate showing people first drafts because I have one person in my writing group, bless his soul, but he is... He tears me apart every single time. It is, it's rough out here. <laughs> um, but also, he gives, like, the most valuable feedback that I think I've ever gotten in my writing career. Like, he is very logical brain. Back to the value of failure and turning pro, Stephen Pressfield says, like, he realized when he had his first, like, real failure that that was when he realized he was a professional. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, like, a very good way to cognitively reappraise our failures. It's worth remembering, too, that, or it's worth mentioning that Pressfield's failure was being on this huge production of this big old movie that they were thinking was going to rake in millions of dollars. And by the end of opening weekend, it had made like 10 or so thousand dollars, mm-hmm. you know, tens of thousands of dollars, which was a humongous loss for the, for, for the studio. Yes. So it, we're talking big scales right here as far as first failures are concerned. Um, your, you know, your failure to show that you're turning pro may be a lot smaller. For example, you, uh, you know, submit your short story to a literary magazine and you get your form rejection. Or you submit your manuscript to an agent and you get a rejection. Those are markers that you're turning pro. Um, something that I picked up from uh, Stephen King, he writes about this inside of his memoir on writing, is that I actually collect my rejections. I print them out, and I have a, I have a little spot inside my office where I have a collection of all of my rejections. And those serve as a reminder that every rejection means that I have skin in the game, that I'm trying, and that I, that I am a pro. Exactly. I was at a writing conference a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about, like, in the business of writing, like, collecting your rejections like you do, but also not having the goal to get accepted, but rather to gather X many rejections. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I, my goal is to start querying Witch's Blood by the end of the year. And instead of saying, oh, yes, I want one acceptance, I want one yes, I'm going to actually go for, I think, 100 rejections. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a realistic number because I've never queried before. Like, I self-published my first book. But we're going to go for 100 rejections. And even if I'm not getting accepted, like, I secretly want to be, uh, I will be moving towards my actual goal of getting a hundred rejections. For sure. This last idea we want to talk about from the War of Art is the ego versus the self. And Pressfield talks about demolishing the ego to get to the self. And the self is the this creative being, this creative entity, whereas the ego is everything that blocks that creativity. Um... And the ego and the self are often at odds. They don't really mesh with each other. They don't vibe with each other. But if we can get past our ego and, like, learn to accept criticisms and learn to, you know, do other things that, like, maybe prick our souls a little bit, Mm -hmm. we can get down to being more creative beings. Yeah, I had a friend once who was writing emails based off of her experience living in Guatemala for a year and a half. And there was something that she said in one of these emails that really struck me, where she said, if you keep finding things to improve, it means that you're getting better. And, you know, the ego 
resents realizing that you're doing something wrong or that there is something that could be done to improve. Whereas you have to get through that in order to get to the self, which is kind of your self-actualized version of yourself. Somebody who, you know, is creative and who, uh, you know, has laid hold on the gifts that they have to offer to the world and is offering those gifts to the world, not just wishing that they could. Absolutely. Uh, do we have any last-minute takeaways from the War of Art before we wrap up for today? I think the only thing I would add is to recognize that resistance is inevitable, but that doesn't mean that you have to give in to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Larry Correa. He is a, a grimdark, sci-fi-ish. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, but uh, he writes the Monster Hunter series. Okay. And one of the things that he likes to say when uh, um, when I've seen him speak at writing conferences is that writer's block doesn't exist. If you go to if you go to the grocery store, the cashier isn't going to say, oh, you know, my muse didn't show up today, so I can't scan your groceries. <laughs> uh, the example that he used, the thing that sticks out to me because my dad is a dentist, is he said, you know, the dentist doesn't say, oh, I can't do this filling because I'm not feeling very inspired with, with mm-hmm. fillings today. Um, which, you know, links into this idea of being pro. If you're being pro... If you're going pro, then you don't wait for inspiration to strike. You just sit down and you work. Yeah. Somerset Mon, at least the quote attributed to Somerset Mon, is like, I write only when inspiration strikes. Fortunately, it strikes at 9 o'clock sharp every morning. Yes. So, yeah, I would say the last thing I want to put into this podcast is you just have to show up. Like, the hardest part of sitting down to write is, like, sitting yourself in the chair and opening your laptop or opening your notebook and, like, getting out the pen and, like, literally just starting to write. But I find it so much easier once you, like, sit down and tell yourself, I'm going to write even if it's only for five minutes. Yes. Because once you get past that five-minute mark, you'll probably want to keep going. Yeah. Anyways, this has been Quid Pros Quo. We will see you next week to talk about writing blurbs, which Zach will be leading that, and I'm so excited. So we'll see you next time on Quid Pros Quo.